This is the Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors, where you'll hear about many aspects of law in England and Wales with special guests, industry experts, and local charities. Here's your host, Amanda Jones. Hello, and welcome to the Legal Lounge, where we now release new episodes every Monday. If you haven't heard previous shows, there's plenty of content for you. If you're going through a divorce, want to know more about claiming for injuries, or you're training to be a lawyer, you can listen to these shows on your favourite podcast app and get more information by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. In this episode, Family Law Solicitor Caroline York speaks with Ian Conlon, who is an actuary specialising in providing expert reports in relation to pensions in family law matters. Caroline puts a number of questions to Ian, including when is it necessary to have a specialised report in relation to pension funds. He also talks about offsetting as well as pension sharing. Hi, I'm Caroline York and uh, I'm really pleased to be able to have a chat today with Ian Conlon, an actuary um, that uh, I've dealt with on occasions in relation to pensions within divorce and I'm hoping that we can uh, lift the lid on some of the mysteries um, surrounding pensions uh, because it's a question that I'm commonly asked about in the first meeting and uh, whilst I can deal with it from a legal perspective will be instrumental in, in shedding some light on, on how pensions actually work and in particular in relation in, in, in relation to the context of divorce. So Ian, um, I wonder if I could just start by explaining for the listeners um, in very basic terms how the courts deal with pensions. Uh, essentially there are two types of order available within divorces. Generally there's pension sharing orders and pension attachment orders. In my experience pension sharing orders are the most common and uh, in very basic terms my way of explaining it to people is that pension sharing order will take a chunk of one person's pension and turn it into a pension for the other person which will then um, act as though it's always been their pension and will pay out to them upon retirement in accordance with the fund's um, own rules. A pension attachment order has a similar function but a, a percentage of the payments that go to the original pension holder are then siphoned off and given to the person that receives the order and that has implications for whether you can get a clean break in the financial proceedings and so on and so forth. That's probably something for another podcast in reality and I want to try and focus this on you and, and your role within the program. So I wonder if you could just uh, explain, introduce yourself, your background into this line of work and explain what an actuary is and what they do, please. First of all, I've, I've been working as, a, as an actuary for, oh, now on 35 years now, so uh, lots of grey hairs. Actuaries work in all sorts of areas, primarily in relation to financial risk and complex financial issues. So I previously advised on, on pension arrangements. Um, and for the last 20 years, I have specialised in providing advice and expert reports in relation to pension issues around divorce and providing options as to what solutions can be uh, arrived at uh, in those circumstances. But probably a bit more helpful to listeners to hear from your perspective what different types of pension funds are available and how they operate. So really, I'm handing over to you. Yeah, sure. Well, I suppose, first of all, there are lots of abbreviations used and lots of different terms. So it can be very confusing for people. Primarily, there are two types of pension arrangements. There are what's known as defined contribution or sometimes they're referred to as money purchase. My dog is drinking water in the background. (laughs) Yeah, he decided to climb down off his off his settee that he sits on, 
and uh, slurping away for a good couple of minutes there. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> there are what's known as defined contribution, also referred to money purchase pension arrangements. They include personal pensions, stakeholder pensions, NEST, what are known as a SIP, a self-invested personal pension. You can have money purchased high pension funds under what's known as a SAS, a small self-administered scheme. All of these pension arrangements, fundamentally the value of the pension is as a result of contributions going in to this pot for the individual and that pot growing with investment return. And that pot is identified for the individual and and assets are held usually separately for that individual. Defined benefit type pension arrangements are, well, first of all, all of the public sector type pensions, plus some private sector employers will also provide defined benefit pensions or have provided benefits of that nature in the past. With defined benefit pensions, what you receive when you retire or leave service is based on a formula. So it's typically something like maybe an 80th of your salary for each year of service. And and the rules are set out in terms of when you're entitled to retire, how the pension will increase, what options are available in terms of drawing pension early and so on and so forth. And those rules are very much specific for each individual scheme. Okay, That type of pension arrangement is materially different to the money purchase personal pension type arrangement. Okay, And perhaps just maybe taking that on a little bit further, one of the first pieces of information that individuals will be asked to get is what's known as a, a cash equivalent value. And again, there are many different abbreviations that are used. Sometimes it's called a CE or a CEV or a CETV or even I've seen PEV where it's a pension that's already in payment. And again, for money purchase type pension arrangements, the cash equivalent value is basically the value that's in the fund. For defined benefit type pension arrangements, it's much more complex in that the value that that, that that CEV is based on assumptions in terms of future price inflation, how long the pension will be paid in terms of life expectancy, rates of interest and so on and so forth. So the, the CETV or CEV can be fundamentally different from one scheme to another, even if the benefits are very, very similar, which makes it very difficult to compare the values. But it's a, it, it's a starting point it gives you an initial broad indication as to the value of the pensions, but that's all that it does. So that you talk about the complexity of defined benefit CEVs. Is that why, in practice, when I'm um, recommending that clients get hold of their uh, pension information at the outset, um, if I've identified it's one of those funds, I'm quite often warning them that it could take some considerable amount of time to get the CEV compared to if they've got defined contribution schemes when they seem to be able to just uh, request it and it's sent to them very shortly afterwards. Is that because it's a feature of the scheme? that it's more complex and it takes longer to, to obtain. Absolutely. Although you know, things are changing, but certainly with a lot of money purchase type pension arrangements, you can more or less go online and get an evaluation straight away. And uh, so it's instantaneous. Some defined benefit type pension arrangements can provide that sort of service, but it's the exception rather than the rule. In general, it can take some considerable period of time. Uh, Schemes do have up to three months 
to provide a CETV. So it can be a lengthy process and it can the time frame can fluctuate significantly depending on if there are other background issues which are affecting the pension scheme and, and its ability to, to process calculations like CETVs quickly if there are other higher power. Yeah. The, the other thing I've have encountered as well is that if um, the pension is already being paid out, then quite often, if it's a specially defined benefit scheme, that the person is being asked to pay a fee to get hold of the CEV as well. That fee can be very substantial. You know, I, I've seen fees of you know, 600, 700, 800 pounds plus VAT for the provision of a, a cash equivalent value for a pension in payment. What I would say there is um, sometimes there is no need to get the CEV for a pension in payment, particularly for the individual who has the lower pension benefits. So the person who has lower pension benefits it's highly unlikely that a pension sharing order would be applied to one of their pensions. So you don't really need the CEV. So you can be needlessly spending money on pieces of information which have no value. Oh, that's interesting to know because quite often when we're getting into the court process, the court is insisting on the parties providing a CEV. So I think that would be really quite helpful to be able to explain to the court that it, it may actually be information that doesn't really take anyone any further in, in terms of uh, you know how it's applied practically. So uh, that's a really useful tip, actually. That probably then brings me neatly to, especially you know if there are going to be costs involved in getting the information, um, why it is so important for people to consider whether they need to instruct an actuary. And um, I wonder if you've got any sort of brief tips on when it might or might not be necessary to get an actuarial report yeah sure so uh, maybe if i focus on 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 when you probably don't need a report as a starting point <laughs> first of all if you've got pension assets of that are relatively modest then it's disproportionate to spend a significant amount on a report so typically if the pension assets in total are less than a hundred thousand pounds then Certainly the, the general view is that it's not worth getting a report um, in those circumstances and that it's, it would a, a more broad brush approach is, is, is appropriate. If all of the pensions are money purchase type pension funds, again, there is less need for a report. There will be circumstances where a report would be useful, particularly if there are issues, maybe significant difference in age or if there are health issues. But in general, if you have straightforward money purchase type pension arrangements, nine times out of ten, you can come to an agreement, reach an agreement without the need to have an expert report provided. I think at the end of the day, the most important thing is to ensure that you maybe as the legal advisor seek advice in terms of, you know, do we need a report here or at least getting a steer as to whether it's appropriate to have a report or not. Where you have defined benefit type pension arrangements, where you have maybe two or three different defined benefit type pension arrangements, which makes it much more difficult to compare the pension arrangements. Or if you have a mixture of defined benefit and money purchase pension arrangements, it's almost inevitable that you will need to have a report. Okay, that's that's really helpful. Thank you. Having identified whether we need a report, and obviously 
picked up the phone to somebody like you and basically outlined, well, these are the assets. Do you think we should go down this route? Assuming that we do then need to um, instruct an actuary, and I should emphasise at this point that we, what we would generally do is what's called a, a single, we, we would treat you as a single joint expert. So um, I and my opponent's solicitor would prepare a letter to you emphasising that you are entirely independent and can't favour one, one party over the other. And your communications with us would obviously be quite regulated. So um, I wonder if you could, from the other side of the story, tell me what we would expect to happen once we've we've sent you the letter. What what do you do when you get the letter? Apart from make a big cup of tea, uh, what do you do when you get the letter? The first thing I do is get the letter of instructions, review the letter of instructions in fine detail, look at exactly what I'm being asked to do, look at the information that I've been provided with, and Nine times out of ten, I will then, in the context of the the, uh, the questions that I have to answer, I, I will then identify what additional information is needed. It is highly unusual to be in the situation where you have all of the information that you need. Typically, you know, solicitors are not in a position to be able to assess exactly what information would be needed. You would normally have requested the cash equivalent values, and there might be some other additional information that the clients have provided. But once I've got that reviewed, then I, I set out exactly what additional information is needed. and will confirm time frame and confirm the, the fee for providing the report. Um, in most cases, then that gets bounced back to the clients to go and collect, request that additional information from their pension providers. We find that that is the most efficient way to get the additional information. If needed, we can work from forms of authority and collect the information ourselves, but it is quicker for the individuals to request the information, particularly if they like if they want to be involved in the process. It is a, a an area where they can be of great help in, in speeding the process up. Once we have all of the information, um, then we can confirm exactly when we're going to have the report ready by and that's then scheduled internally with with ourselves here to preparing calculations and drafting report and so on once we've done that then it's a case of you know finalizing the report and issuing it out to both parties i'm not going to hold you to this but if a bit but i quite often get asked by people how long will it take are you able to put a, a give me a general time scale of how long it might take you to do a report once you've got all the information that you need from from people first of all time frames fluctuate depending on how much work is on and time of year whether there are holidays and so on and so forth but typically we turn around reports around four to six weeks from the point at which we've received all of the information. Currently, it's a bit less than that, but that's the sort of time frame that people should be thinking about. And then, of course, they need to add on a period of time for actually collecting the information. And obviously, at our end, absorbing the information and potentially raising any questions that come out of the report as well. Um, if, you know, because there may be occasions when we, we feel we need to double check something or clarify something that we're not clear about. So that all needs to be built in, doesn't it, when we're advising people on how to timetable their case? On occasions, I have provided assistance in terms of, of uh, helping people understand reports. Uh, and that can be quite a lengthy process. People will not necessarily understand the report completely the first time they read it through. So they need time to absorb the information and to ask those questions. 
So there does need to the report does need to be available well in advance of any hearing so that everyone understands the report and have had an opportunity to to ask whatever questions they have and have those questions answered so they are in a position where they really do understand what's in the report. And I'm going to go off on a slightly different direction here that I know that you you have assisted with in the past um, because so far we've been talking about, we've been leaning towards pension sharing, pension attachment, but on occasions, uh, especially with parties who aren't necessarily close to pension age, but maybe have other priorities such as um, being able to rehouse themselves and children, and there are significant pension assets. Sometimes I've had clients say to me, I'd really rather not go for a pension sharing order because it's actually more important to me to have capital now so that I can actually make something of my life now and, and meet my priorities now. Is that some? Is, is there scope for looking at that with within what you would deal with? Absolutely. Quite a, a high proportion of our reports would include figures for that, what, what's referred to as offsetting, where instead of a pension sharing order. Other assets are transferred from one party to the other to reflect the fact that one party's pension assets are greater than the other. People may be tempted, you know, many people are tempted to look at the CETVs and try and do that sort of um, offsetting calculation based purely on the CETVs. That might give you a very, very broad indication the CETVs are, in many cases, not an appropriate starting point for looking at what capital one party should get in lieu of the fact that the other party is, has higher pension assets. So that is something that is commonly included within the report, or individuals might want to have a mix between some pension sharing and some offsetting rather than going down the route of of just looking at pension sharing as a solution to dividing up the pension assets. So people essentially don't have to feel that they have to put all their eggs in one basket. There's there's scope for being creative about how you deal with cash against pensions and maybe mixing it up a bit um, to, to, to find the best solution for that person. Absolutely, yes. That's quite common to be asked to, to look at, you know, that sort of combination of a little bit of offsetting and a little bit of pension sharing. Right. Okay. That's that's really that's really useful to know because I think it's quite daunting for people, especially at the start of the process, because they don't necessarily feel that they that they they have enough information yet to hand, and that they're suddenly being asked to commit themselves to a position. So to so to be able to say to a client that you know there's there's real scope for being creative, and there's real there's a real possibility of of modelling the outcome to ensure that whatever their priorities are can can be met and met in a variety of ways I think could be quite reassuring to people. Most people, their eyes glaze over when you mention pension. It's not an area where people in general have a huge amount of knowledge or expertise. As part of the process of going through divorce, there's an education process that's needed for individuals to gain sufficient information in order to be able to deal with the pension issues and that in itself is quite daunting some people really want to know everything at the start and that's practically impossible other people maybe just totally disengage but the report itself should provide a degree of education so that the parties actually understand what their pensions are and secondly how the impact 
of whatever decision is made in terms of pension sharing order or offsetting, how that is going to impact on their future retirement, how much of a reduction in terms of pension that's going to have. So I would say individuals need to be a little bit patient and appreciate that it's an area where they have to engage and go through a degree of education in order to be able to deal with the issues that need dealt with. I've had experience of a case, in fact, where a client got a report from an actuary and said that she'd felt it had been really worthwhile, not just because it enabled her to to conclude the case, which had been going on for some time, but she really hadn't appreciated her own personal circumstances um, and how how she would be provided for in retirement. And she was actually really pleasantly surprised at how she would manage uh, upon retirement. So she said she had felt it had been a, a really worthwhile exercise just in terms of her own financial planning as well. So, you know, I, I think it, it covered a number of bases. So uh, yeah, it was certainly worth it for her. Well, that's been really, really helpful, Ian. Um, and I think hopefully, as I say, you've managed to uh, sort of clear the fog that, as you identified, some people feel about pensions and I think also the more informed people feel and the more confident they feel the easier it is for them to deal potentially with with their case overall and um, they don't feel quite as as daunted and, and maybe as disenfranchised so um, hopefully people will find that discussion really helpful and confidence building so I'm really grateful for your time and your expertise on this thank you you're welcome thank you thank you to Caroline and to our special guest Ian If you have a legal issue you'd like me to put to our team to cover in an upcoming episode, please let me know by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. If you found the conversation useful, please remember to follow or subscribe on your app so you're notified of new releases when they come out every Monday. Speak to you next week. That was The Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors. Visit lblaw.co.uk slash podcast for helpful resources. And please do follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode.